Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Oh, stopping, Jen. I'm trying to talk over those chimpanzees. Now, listen here. This is episode 101, Stomping Jen. Uh huh. Only 999 more episodes till we get to four digits. Oh my God. Can we do it? Is that right? 990. That's not right. What? That's 999 not- plus no. 101. That doesn't seem right. What What does that add up to? Like, not the right number. Oh, well, math isn't my strong suit. You know what is my strong suit? What? Doing talking, this yeah, talking to interesting people. And we have some great guests back for a second appearance. Matt and Lindsay from Oak and Ash Farm and Distillery. Woohoo! And I will say... They are one of the most highly downloaded of our episodes in the last couple of months. They're still in the top 10. That's awesome. Yeah. um, I didn't know that. Month after month. So people are listening to their podcast actually quite a bit and downloading it. That's pretty cool. Okay. So we're going to talk to them again. They have some updates to share with us and we'll hear them on the other side of the amazing intro music that I produced. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Soft Serve Podcast. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. All right, Stomping Jen. Yes. No creepy trucks. No. The number you were looking for was 899. 899. Whoops. This is not off to a good start, but we're going to get it off to a better start, Stomping Jen, because we're going to say hello to our friends and prior guests, Matt and Lindsay from Oaken Ash Farm and Distillery. Hi, Matt, and hi, Lindsay. Hello. Good evening. Welcome back. Thank you for coming back on the podcast. We really appreciate you coming to talk to us about all that you're up to. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us again. Yeah. Yep. And so last time we talked, I, I have to ask you about this. You told <laughs> us it was in the spring, I think, and you had just ordered some bees, right? Yes. Um, yep. And they were, remind me, were they some kind of blue bee stomping gen? We had, <laughs> we had two different kinds and we kind of had like, we split custody of them basically. <laughs> Matt was in charge of the mason bees and I was in charge of the um, leaf cutter bees. Um, so, and they come out at two different times of year. So Matt ordered the mason bees and I ordered the leaf cutters and we were both responsible for like care and maintenance of our, our little baby bees. Um, I'm sensing so a yeah. kind of um, bee husbandry contest here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of a like 
you know, whose bees are going to do better. It was a little bit of, it was a little competitive. Um, who, whose bees won? Who's, that sounds like a weird. Sounds nobody's like a, bee, <laughs> nobody's bees won. It was, um, are they still we learned a lot about, we learned a lot about having these bees this year. We learned a lot of hard lessons. Um, no. the Mason bees, so the Mason bees come out first and the Mason bees did well until um, sugar ants got into the house. Oh, no. And actually, they're attracted to the scent of the pollen, and they dug out all of the chambers that were there and ate the pollen, which means that the baby bees died because they had nothing to eat, and I was very angry. Oh, my <laughs> God. Dastardly <laughs> ants. It was not a thing we foresaw. Oh, like basically, everything I had read said like you can hang it at least five feet up in the air. On the, house, the house, the house, yeah, the, the, the bee house, the nest in sight. So I put it up like five feet up a, a tree down front, put it in the sun where you're supposed to put it, and then one day Lindsay goes down and there was ants crawling all over it. So oh. we and I like pulled the tubes out, and they were literally just like powder, and I was like in tears. Like I, you get so attached to these things, and you're yeah. just like. Oh. So we did an emergency evacuation, moved their nest in sight, and then uh, actually Lindsay said that she got some saw some tubes. So some of there them there are some new ones. I'm sure some of them went in, uh, found well, they probably found different places in the nest. On yeah, they must property. <laughs> Mason okay. bees are native, so there's like obviously places other places that they probably were like could find to live. Um, so just because, so if we released, what was it, like 200 bees or something, yeah, something like that. you know, you think your survival rate is, may, you know, maybe 70% and then you've got like half of those at least are males. So they basically just exist to mate. Um, it kind of sucks to be a male mason bee. Um, that sounds awesome. And, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> they, just, like, they just live and then die. And they're like nomadic. Like they just kind of like find a place to crash basically. So it's the females that do all the, you know, they find the, the home and they, they make the nest, so to speak. They make their little um, pollen loaves and they make their little cells for their babies. So there it's feasible that a lot of, cause we didn't end up with a lot of tubes. Right. I mean, we only had like probably Seven or eight? Yeah, so most of these probably went out somewhere else on the because they don't range very far. So most of them probably went out in the property and, and found other places. Like a, whatever, a hollow reed from a flower or something or wherever. Now will these bees, assuming they found new houses or new places to live, can they will they survive the winter? And will yeah. they they will. Okay. Yep. Especially where they're native, like you would assume that like I mean we'll probably add next year and continue to do so for a while because it can only like as long as you have food as long as there's enough for them to eat to sustain them and they they have access to the clay and they have access to clay which obviously they do because so we moved their nest and um kind of tried again with the leaf cutter bees and i actually had a lot of them it was very chaotic we actually have a video up on our instagram of like these baby bees hatching in the middle of a thunderstorm. And it was right after I discovered all the ants. So we were like in a frantic, like madness thing to try to move the house and get the, the leaf cutter bees that were just emerging out. And it was just chaos. And you can hear the thunder rumbling in the background. And I'm like encouraging these tiny baby bees to come out of their, their cells. And a lot of them did, but I actually had, probably almost half of them die 
not even make like they didn't even make it out of the cells, which was very sad. Um, But obviously some of them survived because a few weeks later I saw in the, the cells that Matt made, he made like trays that have channels cut in them. And when you line them up, it makes like a tube. And um, I realized I saw several of them in there and I was like, well, we'll see what happens. And um, I realized one day that one of them was filled and you could see, like, I think they use like rose petals actually to create their, um, to create their cell. And I was very excited. It looks like something got into one of them, probably a bird. So lesson learned on that one. I'll, I'll, put some mesh up next year, but I went over to look at them a little while ago because there are several native bees that um, will use like a bee hotel essentially, which is what we made that has different size reeds. And there were Mason bee cells in there. So hmm. either we could have our second generation of our, our Mason bees or other native Mason bees. I found some homes there. So it's very encouraging. And that's probably good for them genetically, right? To mix up kind of if they. Yeah, yeah. I, I assume so. Just yeah. adding to the population. Yeah. I mean, it's all, all pollinators are, you know, are good. So it's just, it's very fascinating to kind of see. And, and next year we'll try again and we'll have learned our lessons. I ended up putting like Vaseline all over the edges of the house so that like ants can't walk up there. Uh, just in mm, case. Yep. Yeah internet is great for stuff like that. So. And so an exciting, yeah. an exciting summer with the bees and hopefully some of them <laughs> will make it over the winter. Now I, I forgot to even say at the start of this, um, we should just tell people a little bit about where your farm is Oak and Ash farm and distillery. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that? Um, well, we're in Belcher town. Yeah. Um, we are up on our own little microclimate up on a hill on Allen road or Allen street, depending on, uh, if you're going off the post office version or the town version of the, the street name, wherever you want to um, talk or, to. <laughs> or, which, or which end of the street. Or which end of the side. street you're on. It's very confusing. Um, and we have a beautiful little seven and a half acre property up here on Allen road street place it is <laughs> you want to call it. yeah it is beautiful and what um i want people to know about this town we live in stomping jen um belcher town massachusetts is it's a really kind of very rural town um mm-hmm. agriculture is um important mm-hmm. here animal husbandry is big here <laughs> right and it's near the quabbin reservoir Stomping Jen. Yeah. What is that all about? Some of it. Are you asking? Me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Tell us what this Quabbin Reservoir is. Stomping We're here to Jen. talk to Matt and Lindsay. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm curious about the Quabbin. You're you're a co-host. You're involved in this. Uh-huh. Tell us about the Quabbin, Stomping Jen. Well, the Quabbin used to be four towns that they flooded right. to make the water source for Boston. Yeah, and that's pretty close to your property, right, Lindsay yeah. and Matt? Yeah, it's very close, actually. Now, does um, and uh, kind of on a side note, when if when and if we get the distillery up and running, we had plans to there'll be some nods to that. There'll be the there'll definitely be some nods to that. Yeah. Okay. We we tend to like our history around here. We're a little bit of history buffs, especially Matt. So there'll be some nods to the Quabbin and the and the names of our products. Okay, so and so the spring was about getting these bees and getting those things going. What what else happened over the summer? 
Um, this is, we're recording this, what, Stomping Gen, fall of 2020? Mm-hmm. After, yes. Yeah, so can you tell us what else was going on on the farm over the summer? Yeah, so obviously we've got a couple different enterprises we've been trying to work on up here. And uh, I think this year we kind of just channeled them down and, and got to what we need to do now and what we need to do later and really classified those with what needs to happen immediately and what's the end goal and where we're going to go. So basically uh, through. We've done a pivot basically in what you call in business. We've done like a hard pivot. Mm -hmm. So we kind of figured out we want to do some more market gardening, uh, get into some more annual crops and things like that, just to establish ourselves more as a farm and, and, Mm -hmm. and offer what we can to the community. So, uh, Realized that the market garden was going to be our, our priority this year. And I, I cleared a bunch of land from there. And we milled up a bunch of the timbers that we needed to to do a structure down there. So that's, that's ready to rip. Um, poured a concrete slab for that structure. So that would eventually be where we um, keep a lot of our garden tools. That'd be where we have a, a wash and pack station to prep those things and possibly where we'll have a cooler or whatever to, uh-huh. to display those before they go out to, to our customers. Um, so we got all that land cleared and that's still going on right now, but we've been stonewalling the past couple of days and, and just taking all the stones that we pulled out of there and making a nice border around there. We uh, have a lovely rock garden. I mean, a lovely mm-hmm. rock farm up here. We're really, really good at producing yeah. rocks. <laughs> 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 so now, like literally every time we're like i don't know if we're gonna have enough rocks for another rock wall we're like oh yeah we do so just drag your feet and you'll just, pick up another one yeah, yeah like they just stay like rain from the sky like we're just swimming in rocks over here now wh- <laughs> now you mentioned you're pivoting um could you tell us a little bit about why you're pivoting what kind of drove that decision to to pivot and maybe move in a slightly different direction well, when we, when we bought the property up here, we knew like seven and a half acres is, is a lot of land, but to most people, especially involved in agriculture, that's like, that's nothing. It's, and we've actually been sort of, the question has been posed, like, why would you bother? Well, because that's what we want to do with it. We, we don't want to have seven and a half acres to just look at it. Um, we wanted it to work for us, but we wanted to make sure that when you have a land that small, it needs to have a purpose. So we initially, when we built our house, we were like, okay, well, what is the purpose of the farm? Because we're not going to just clear cut seven and a half acres and just like put in some corn and then figure it out from there. That's ridiculous. So our initial approach was like, okay, what do we want to make? What do we want the end result to be? And so we landed on craft distilling. So we were like, okay, this is great. Like we'll make steps to like move towards making, uh, producing schnapps, things we can use in schnapps, like put in an orchard and put in lots of berry bushes. We have like Mm -hmm. tons of raspberries in an orchard. And we went, we took a course in it. Um, and that was our plan. You know, we, at the end of our course, our instructor was like, oh, you guys are, you're great. You know, you're all set. You can have like a small craft micro distillery. It's going to be awesome. And then we just hit barrier after barrier after barrier after barrier. And um, it's just been such a hard battle. And really, I think what we've come down to realize is that um, the farm needs to come before the distillery. It's 
you know, the purpose of the farm initially was to supply the distillery and now it's going to kind of be the distillery is it's still that symbiotic relationship. Like, like farm distilling has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's just a natural sort of byproduct of like when you have an excess of, you know, a fruit, Mm -hmm. you distill it. Um, it's still done in Germany that way. It's still done a lot of places that way. Um, but we unfortunately are dealing with a lot of like laws and misinformation um, that really prohibit us from doing it on that level. So we realized the farm needs a really clear cut plan for the entire property. And that's something that's taken us five years to, to figure out. And now we're really there. So the distillery is still part of the plan but it's just sort of going to be like a natural byproduct of once we are up and running and we have much more production, we have an actual barn. Um, we're then looking to reapproach it and say, okay, look, we're just going to do, you know, production up here on a small scale. We still want to make like a beautiful artisanal craft spirit, but um, the farm needs to come first and we need to kind of nail that down before mm-hmm. we on yeah, I think part of it too was what can we do now with less overhead and something that's a more sure yep. venture, you yep. know? And, and, yeah. and then we have there's more channels too, because like I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the laws in this state, um, but like you can sell beer or wine or cider at a farmer's market, but you can't sell distilled spirits. So you can't sell beer either. Oh, you, you can sell you can, sell, can sell wine that. and you can sell cider, cider because cider, cider. Fi- falls under winemaking. Huh. And you also, and this is a thing we get asked about a million times. Um, people say, "Well, why don't you just start distilling? It is illegal. You can't distill until you have a license to distill, and you can't have a license to distill until you have a facility to license." So it's kind of the like you have to put the cart before the horse and you need <laughs> yeah. some money Very confusing. right and lots and lots and lots of money right. and you need a revenue source not, yeah yeah so at the end of the day we're kind of we're bootstrapping and yep. we're, we're using the farm as a means to an end to establish ourselves get our clientele get our yep. um, business basis up and at the, and this is also it's a second second career for both of us too. Yeah. We're still working our, our nine to five, so to speak. So yeah, that's going to be the way it's going to have to be for a while anyway, before yeah. we take this on as a full-time venture. So, um, now the, yeah, the, the farm that's for, and you know, that's something we've always wanted to do. We were going to, we, we already guard them for ourselves. We already produce fruits and veggies for ourselves. So why not expand what we're doing here where mm-hmm. we can, share that with other people and, and other people can have that experience and and enjoy that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can, you know, give the farm a purpose and, um, and share what we know it's sharing everything really. It's, you know, a farm share in the, in every sense of the word, we're sharing everything we're going to be producing um, as well as every knowledge, like knowledge, you know, when we make, yeah videos on stuff it's not like oh look at me i'm so smart and i know things yeah, i'm telling my knowledge <laughs> i'm telling my knowledge it's like hey we tried this and this is what we learned like we're sharing it with you because you know we couldn't find this information before so here you go this is what we learned yeah or, you know part, part of it too with the with when Lindsay started saying hey we should make videos i was like 
I don't want to be that guy there showing you, you know, like self-important on there and, and on YouTube. But then after a while, I was like, I like watching YouTube videos. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe somebody would like to see what, maybe okay. somebody has this question and, and this will answer that. Or they'd see me do it and go, Hey, we can do that too. That didn't seem that hard. You know? yeah. I will watch a YouTube video on almost anything. If it teaches me something that I'm even remotely mm-hmm. interested in. Um, yeah. I've got a comment on something that I'm still hung up on. I cannot move on until I make a comment on this. Um, I am flabbergasted that they consider cider making closer to wine. Having brewed beer and brewed cider in the past, they are nearly identical processes. Yeah. It's because of fruit. It's the fruit. It comes down. It's one of those archaic, like old blue law, like it, there's literally no reason that the law exists. And the other thing that holds us up greatly, um, in just in terms of being successful as a craft distillery, is we cannot have an off site tasting room, meaning I can't do what is common practice in Vermont. Which, if you so, if you go to a farmer's market in Vermont. Uh, we went to. We, we took our course in Vermont. We so took that's our why, course in that's Vermont. Why that's why we, knowledge base is above Vermont. It's right. our neighbor here. It's our neighbor, yeah. and like we've been to a farmers market, you can't throw a, you know, a small stick without hitting a craft distillery um, booth at a farmers market. It's yeah. their bread and butter. Most places are so rural; they can't. You can't sell off site, and then they'll also have um, like uh, Mad River has a tasting room offsite. We've been to Mad River's distillery. It is literally as rural as you can possibly get. And uh, like, oh, it's a wild ass mountain. <laughs> it is a wild ass mountain road to get up there. It's a little terrifying in a bus. And that's um, a, that's a beer maker, mm-hmm. wild river. Nope, this is a distillery. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Mad River distillery. Oh. Mad River distillery. They, um, they uh, produce whiskey. Rum whiskey and yep. They're like, out in, whiskey. they're like in Cambridge or no? I'm getting them. No, in Vermont. Vermont. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Excuse me. So, so they're in they're in rural Vermont. They have this. I mean, it's beautiful distillery, but like nobody's going up there. It's literally in the middle of nowhere. But they have an offsite tasting room that essentially operates like a like a bar in, Burlington, in yeah. downtown Burlington, nice. which is how they make their money. Mm-hmm. Which, if we could do here, mm-hmm. we that's how we would make our money. And yep. I have no problem just sort of producing up here and selling offsite. You know, we were zoned residential which has been a huge part of our issue. They don't want people coming up here. And I, I get it. I don't want a million people up here too. So if I could just operate a tasting room offsite, it would be no issue at all. And and we'd already probably be in business on that end. But if I can't have people taste what they're about to spend 30 something dollars on, um, it's I'm kind of dead in the water. <laughs> So it's something that really needs to be changed, like seriously, but it's also, I know there's a lot going on in the yeah. state right now that is much bigger. So that will mm. be fish to fry later on, in, mm-hmm. you know, a few years when things quiet down and we can kind of hit this with all we have. And I'm totally fine with, you know, getting the information out there and trying to help change laws. I don't know much about law, but I can certainly I think make a good case for it because it's just silly. There's literally no reason for it. It's only hurting small businesses. Now the new farm or kind of the, the, the pivoted reinvention reinvention of the farm is Mm -hmm. going to focus on sustainable 
uh, farming practices. I think mm-hmm. there could be some people listening to this who may not even know what that means. Could you talk a little bit about what that concept is? So, yes. So sustainable ag is basically saying we're going to meet the needs of our food, our textiles, all those industries without compromise for today's generation, without compromising those needs of the next generation. So it's basically leaving things the same. as good as they are without depleting them to a point where the next generation can't carry on. So um, some of that's sustainable up here. And then we can take it one step further. Another is regenerative ag, which mm-hmm. is leaving things better than they are now through the, through building soil, through good practices and uh, water management. So make sure your yep. runoff's not compromise the water quality in the area, whether it be groundwater or underground water, you know, so just it's, it's about managing a number of different systems to make things better. It's about um, maintaining or adding to, if you're talking regenerative, one of the biggest issues with <clears throat> current agricultural processes is that it is removing um, permaculture, which is, you know, trees, things that are there permanently that are mm-hmm. adding oxygen to the air to there. It's wiping that out. You often are wiping out the fertility of the soil over several, you know, rotations of a crop or generations of a farm. And it's replacing them with annual crops that is depleting the soil and it's not adding anything to the atmosphere. So by shifting the focus to permaculture, which is a um, permaculture and polyculture. So permaculture means permanent cultivation of permanent crops. So trees, shrubs, things that are there, obviously not permanently, nothing is permanent, but for a much longer period of time, Mm -hmm. polyculture is mixing crops. So we can kind of go on and on about this. Like our, our new motto is, do you have time to talk about restorative agriculture today? (laughs) (laughs) Basically we got those people like preaching the gospel of like regenerative agriculture. But so polyculture is just mixing, um, mixing crops because that's how things would grow normally in the wild. If you look at a field of wildflowers, it's not rows and rows and rows of one thing. It's a mixture of things so that anytime you have an issue with a pest or a disease or something, it's, it can't make that leap as easily. So if you have row, if you have an, a small orchard of an acre and you have uh, 30 apple trees and a disease gets into your orchard, well, it's easily going to just jump from tree to tree to tree to tree to tree. Right. If you have an apple tree and then you have a June berry and then you have a pear tree and then you have an ash tree, like just whatever it is. And you've mixed it up. It's like socially, it's like socially distancing your plants. Yes. Yes. You you take a walk in any woods here and it might, the predominant species might be oak or pine or whatever it is, but the entire place, unless it's plantation planted is not the same species. So. Now something. um, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm just saying a lot of those pests, like Lindsay said, aren't can't easily make the jump to the next one. So yep. a lot of those problems just stop. You know, if, if it's all monoculture, all the same species of cultivar, it'll get wiped out. And they can easily just jump tree to tree to tree, and next thing you know, the whole plantation's dead. I mean, there's nowhere on earth where you can go except for like one place in, it might be like Pakistan or Mongolia, where there's a naturally occurring 
monoculture, uh, monoculture orchard naturally occurring in, in, in what, what we say is an orchard that, I mean, an orchard is, uh, as we see it in the Northeast here, where there's all these apple trees row on row is, is a human created thing, obviously. So, yeah. And something tells me, and I know nothing about farming, something tells me an approach like this would require less chemical intervention, like fertilizers. And obviously, you know, we were talking about, um, like plant pathogens and maybe even cut down on the need for something like insecticides. Uh, something tells me this, although I don't know yep. for sure. Yep. So, Absolutely. It's taking organic farming like 10 steps further because it's saying like, yeah, you're, you're organic farming and that you're not using pesticides, but this is like, you don't need to. And you're also adding to the health of the soil and the health of the environment overall. Well, the thing with organic too. So you still need, your pest mitigation um, protocols for organic. It's just using things that are less, uh, they're not straight up chemicals. Right. You know, so you might be using different types of clay that you're spraying or you're using copper or whatever. Those are all things that are organic, uh, whatever. There's there's different things that are accepted as organic practices either way. But um, But you still need to use something to manage pests and like you're still using a pesticide of some kind. They're considered less harmful and usually they're not man-made. But just like germs over time, there's certain parts of those pests that develop uh, immunity to it it and and they're not affected by it. And obviously they're going to pass on that gene. So over time you're building Super pests. Super pests. (laughs) Yeah, you are. They have resistance to that. So at some point those things aren't going to work. So what can we do to change this and, and actually mimic nature to make it work in our benefit? Where we can still like produce crops and and feed ourselves, but like we're not harming the environment in, in doing so. Um, and just so you know, this is like what we sit around and talk about at night because <laughs> we're that we're that level of farm geek now that mm-hmm. we just like sit around and have like philosophical conversations about farming. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Now, in kind of our pre-show correspondence, one of the other things you told me about was this. um, And I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. A silvo pasture system. Could you talk a little bit about what what that is and how you envision that uh, working on the farm this spring? So there's different practices in sustainable agriculture that are like uh, um, windbreaks. Alley crop and silver pasture, riparian buffers, and agroforestry. So those are four, like five things that are accepted practices towards making farmer farming better. And uh, silver pastures basically just have an areas that where you're involving livestock within that alley uh, crop. Yeah, within that system. So we're kind of so we're gonna do the market garden as our main focus, where it's gonna be veggies and you know things you're used to mostly annual crops like lettuces and you know, root, root, root vegetables, vegetables. and quick growing that we can turn around and get out to our our people real quick and and do that repeatedly over the season um but I'm, and a note on that we are using a no dig system which means you're feeding the soil 
So like we won't be rotating crops and even though we'll be succession planting, you know, planting something. And then as soon as it comes out, we're planting something else. We're not plowing, we're not tilling. Right. We're not disturbing the soil. We're allowing like the good natural bacteria and we're feeding the soil constantly with layers of compost. So it's also another way to like annual crops are not as good as permanent crops. But if you're going to have annual crops, this is definitely like the most sustainable way to do it and like the best way to do it responsibly, basically. So with the civil pasture system, there's a section up back um, about an acre that we're going to we're going to clear some of that away and we're going to put in um, tree crops or shrub crops. So it's going to be uh, rows and the will be like apple. Um, it's the polyculture we were talking about. I'm putting bayberry in there because bayberry is a nitrogen fixer. So if I go in there and I cut some of the uh, bayberry shoots, it puts nitrogen back in the soil, which will feed the crops next to it. So I really don't care about the bayberries, but by, by putting those in there and I can go in and prune those, they'll put inputs that will benefit the other plants by doing that. And I won't have to use fossil fuel based uh, fertilizers, which is what, when you buy a bag of fertilizer for your lawn, it's a fossil fuel based fertilizer. Yeah. That's how it was produced. So anyway, we'll have, we'll have these rows of trees and then we'll have a, a, a pasture grass area in between. And then there's going to be a row of uh, these different polycultures. We're going to do blueberries and Christmas trees, Christmas trees together. Cause by we're going to put infant blueberries in by the time they get to be full size blueberry plants and produce them very well. The Christmas trees are ready to take out. So yep. the Christmas trees, we cut them off. That's something everybody loves. <laughs> They take a really long time to grow. <laughs> You're talking eight to 10 years or whatever. So by the time those cut out, now we get more space for the blueberries. And then through that middle row, I wish I could just like draw a video right now. Yeah, you know? can we just do a video? Can you turn? Can you turn your voice into, like, into video? But anyway, so that, that was part of a draw. And Lindsay put up on our Instagram to the day was just my uh, rough sketch to try to figure out how many plants we need. So yep. there's going to be a raspberry row too. And then it will be another row of pasture and then this, a tree crop. Next one won't have apple, have pear instead. So we're trying to vary things. Mm-hmm. We're varying crops as much as we can. But in between on these grass stretches, we're going to run um, chicken tractors with pasture poultry. What the heck is a chicken tractor? So a chicken I've tractor. I've never seen a chicken tractor. Oh, Google it, girl. It's, <laughs> it's basically a mobile chicken coop and chicken run all in one. We have, you know, some. I'd love to do free range up here. We get fried. Oh, we have like a resident fox and like got, bears and we got, mm-hmm. I got uh, hawks, hawks <laughs> and feral falcons that come here in the spring. So with all, we'd those, be feeding all the wildlife is what mm-hmm. we'd be doing. Yeah. It's just like, so it's everybody, not, it's everybody loves chicken. Everybody loves chicken. So I remember when we had you guys on here last time, you were adamant about not having any kind of animals. <laughs> now you're talking was, about a chicken tractor. They, pi- they pivoted Stomping oh, Jen. Okay. All right. How dare okay. you? All right. Now, let me say that was definitely more term. Chickens are short term. And that was definitely more me than that. I worked on a farm that had animals and I was just like, I don't need that <laughs> complication in my life. But when you hear the gospel of regenerative agriculture, one of the really important things and I'm going to have Matt cite this person because I, he knows more about him, but he's a great, if anybody's interested in this, he's a great person to check out. 
Um, yeah, so check out Mar- Connecticut. Uh, the guy in Connecticut. Oh, John Suskovich. John Suskovich. Um, he does amazing yeah, YouTube, YouTube channel. Videos. Yeah, he's, um, he breaks down the, the pasture poultry game all the way. Uh, so the guy actually, I'll check it out. But he, he so he's a partner in a brewery. He's down in the. He's so smart. Like the western edge of uh, Connecticut. So he, he does a brewery with other people. He's got a farm he does stuff on. And he's big in the pasture poultry game. So he, he does a uh, chickens all out of the pasture. And if, if we all eat chicken, but we want to eat good chicken, right? Responsible yes. chicken. Yep. Now, and does the, like, do the chickens. Yeah, so like around, oh, sorry. So I was just... here we, got, we got Misty Knoll. You've probably, you probably seen them in the grocery store. They're, they're big into that. That's the brand, Misty Knoll. That's a chicken. Yep. Misty, Misty Knoll Farm. That's not that's not his brand. That's just one that's around here. No, I'm just saying for us around here, you've probably yep. seen that. They're pasture poultry. So we, uh, we, we know, hey, pasture is better. It's, it might not be necessarily cage-free, but like I, I, acceptable practices in, in barn farm. And like if a, bear, if a bird has two square feet, to range in, he's good. I was going to say, com- com- compared to the nightmare of industrial oh my God. chicken, yeah. I mean, a, a chicken tractor is like living in uh, Malibu for a for a chicken. That's a great Absolutely. deal. Yeah, so, so the benefit of that is, so we, we'd have them in there. It's a mobile um, chicken pen. They have an area to roost. They get their uh, grain supplement in there, their water's in there. And what are they on top of? They're on top of pasture. So... Chickens are omnivores. Um, they go around root insects out. They'll eat a little bit of the grass. Yep. And every say, day. Right? Yep. And they then, probably help with your pest management, <laughs> right? I like your sound effects. Thank Sorry, you. we're talking about chickens. I had to. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Not often then, you can pull that out. <laughs> no, I don't. Daily chores, Friday daily chores, we're giving them feed or water. You move this chicken tractor one full length ahead every day. So every day they have a fresh pasture site. Right. So they're not like literally sitting in their own like filth in this tiny pen. They're in the same pen, but it's moving. It's like a, it's like a mobile home um, that's actually mobile or like an RV where they're having constantly new pasture to graze. <laughs> they get to view the country from they get their luxury the country RV, they're their glamping. mobile chicken tractor. I love they're it. Glamping. They're actually glamping. I love yep. it. Now, what do we get in return? They scratch yeah. up the soil. They're going to eat it, some of the pest bugs, and then they're actually pooping all over the place, which is just giving me glorious. Pleasure. You're actually keeping the fertility of your soil on the soil. Like one of the big things, Matt, like a, a big point Matt made to me is like you do see a lot of farms and they get sort of farm tax credit by selling hay because they're just like, they're basically like mailing it in at that point. They're like, oh, whatever. I have this farmland and to keep it as a farm, I'm just going to sell my hay. Every time you do that, you're actually shipping the fertility of your soil off your land. So when you cut the grass and you leave it on the grass to decompose, you're just making sure that any of the nitrogen and all that good stuff gets back into the soil. But when you're constantly just shipping it off, you're selling it away. You're selling the fertility of your land away. So by having, you know, people will make the the argument and I'm, I'm not going to get into <laughs> if you want to be a vegan or a vegetarian, I totally understand it. I considered it myself, but there's really nothing wrong with eating pastured animals 
if it's done in this manner where they're literally just there as a symbiotic relationship feeding the soil and you get to eat them. <laughs> like, it's actually a really great system and it's how farming should be done. You, you basically you gotta raise them so they have one bad day in their lifetime. Right. Right. They have they have a glory, they get to do all the foraging they want. They're having they get to eat everything they want. They're getting tons of fresh air and sunlight. And then, you know, when their life is over, they just have a quick bad life and you know, or a quick bad day and, and that's it. And now, it's all over. Speaking <laughs> of that one bad day, will Matt or Lindsay, will you be the one with the axe in the hand and the oh, stump. No. <laughs> okay. No. So actually we're going to, what we're going to do is we'll, we'll pack them up and, and I got a person in the local area that's a USDA certified uh, slaughterhouse. They'll take care of all that and do it in a manner that is ready to go straight to market. Yep. Is there, there's a local person or is it like far away? Cause that's one of the things that I've talked with local farmers about is that there's not a lot of meat processing in the area. I mean, when I say local, that's a relative term. Yeah. At okay. least the the, per, the person I've been referred to is like up on the Route Two corridor, so yeah. we're talking like forty five minutes. So yeah. it's not super local, that's what but I've heard. Um, yeah. I mean, that's localish. Yeah. Yeah. I can roll up and have the chickens in their pen or whatever, and then mm-hmm. they take care of it all, soup the nuts there, and at least it's all done in a, a manner too that's under the controls of that. So mm-hmm. for market. I think again, when you get back to legal things, yeah, yeah, I can process my own poultry here, but I'm not. I'd have to set up an actual slaughterhouse here to do it. And um, like, that's not, you know, we're already wearing a million hats. Too, yeah. yeah, like that's yeah. not one more thing we need to add on to our plate of like, you know, we can't. It's also I can't imagine the cost associated with something like that. Oh, I could only so. imagine. Yeah. Now, You're will, better off letting somebody else do it properly. <laughs> will you have um, assorted chickens, or like, like, is there a what breed of chicken? Yeah. Do you have? So, That's a math question. so um, there's a couple different breeds. Like when you get your standard chicken from Purdue or whatever you get, it's it's usually like a Cornish cross, which is the white bird, um, has big plump breast, and it's basically what Americans have come to expect out of a chicken. Is that some, um, that I feel like we're about to hear that's not what a real chicken is like. That's some kind of monstrosity that well, corporations have bred. No. Well, it, it's all dependent on obviously if you raise it in a certain way, it's going to be even more. But they're they're generally poor foragers. Um, they they so they're going to eat more grain. I mean, they're going to rely more on the grain supplement that you give them. Lazy chickens. Chickens, yep. So, uh, <laughs> the big boobs, red ranger is a variety I've been looking at, and, and also what we look at too is those the, over time, they these chicken breeds have been bred to. Sorry, that was our cat. That was your cat, right? That wasn't a sound effect, people. That wasn't a sound effect. That was not a poorly placed sound effect. That was literally our cat. No, so these chickens have been bred to have a shorter um, lifespan. lifespan, but they, they grow very fast. So they are economical. The longer you keep the bird around, the more labor is associated, the more feeds associated. So I think the next next step in it would be before the heritage breeds would be uh, Red Ranger as a, a chicken variety, which actually has a little smaller breast, has a, a different structure to it, probably bigger uh, legs on, it's a better forager, and you get a little more um, chicken flavor, a little more wild chicken. I, I don't know wild chicken's the term mm-hmm. for it. 
I don't want to say gamey, but but no, I it's mean, different. And that's the it, thing. It's definitely yeah. different. I've and we had we had yeah. a we had a poultry CSA once, and those chickens were freaking delicious. They were. Mm-hmm. They had like no meat on them. Though. Well, that was yeah, that, yeah. Which is par for the course. It was how it was explained. Yeah, and we've had that conversation before. I mean, you have to tamper your expectations. Right. This is not Purdue chicken you're getting out of the grocery store. This is like real food and it's probably going to be different than what you're used to. It's not going to have as much meat on its bones and it's going to taste a little different, but like that is just something you have to come to expect when you're, you know, dealing with us or anybody else. And, and, you know, it, like anything you can adapt, it's still chicken. Yep. <laughs> I think the biggest thing as a consumer you can see is when you, when you delve into the pork industry. So yeah. hey, pork, the other white That's meat. Huge. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, when you go to the grocery store and you look at pork the other way, meat and it's just like kale, yeah. pink. Did we not even pink? It's like beige. Yeah, it's like, and, but that's then when gross. you go to a and you get a real farm raised pig that's been allowed to exercise and, and root around a pasture mm-hmm. or and go to the woods or whatever and eat nuts, now you get like this red meat that's just. It's delicious. Food. Yeah. It is. It's amazing. It's so much better. I Did, mean, you have the pigs that people pay like Iberico ham. Uh, we, I know paid, like we saw it in New York city. So we're actually su- super fun side note. We're actually trained charcuterans. Um, <laughs> yep. Because why wouldn't we be? Um, and in another life, we, one of the first things we, one of the first things we considered was um, opening our own charcuterie shop or our own, like, you know, like cured meat place where we'd have delicious cured meats and cheeses. And then we found out that that's again, in this country, we're so prudish about stuff like that, that you basically have to have like a butchery and you have to have like all these crazy special licenses and you Mm -hmm. can't do a lot of the things. But we did take a course at the uh, French culinary Institute or the international culinary Institute in New York. Um, And we have our certification and we are trained charcuterans. Um, and Iberico ham can go for upwards of a hundred dollars a pound. Um, and you've got these heritage breeds of pigs that are really just foraging and living on acorns. And it's amazing. It is mm-hmm. amazing how much better they taste. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just different breeds of pig have, and this is my like, you know, geeky farm knowledge coming out here. Um, there's hundreds of varieties of pig and everything from like size and shape to you know some are better better or produce more um for what you want for bacon whereas others have larger legs like it's you know they're as varied as people are practically so that gets that gets like crazy varied but it's also um pigs can definitely be a part of silvo pasture and alley cropping um but it's definitely on a larger scale (laughs) Not yeah, really yeah. something for I mean, us. Eventually, they may work into the system. They may work into it in, in a very small role. We might have like a pig or two. <laughs> <laughs> are you? Are you gonna have? So, are you gonna have any? So, you're gonna have chickens? Are you gonna have yeah, any? I'd uh, like to do turkeys, but we'll, we gotta try with chickens first. Po- yeah. Poultry, poultry, yes. I yes. mean, maybe we'll leave it there for now. How about? How <laughs> about any? And our very, our very heart, we are. You know. Irish Scotch people and I, like both of us are just like I really just would like to have some sheep just so we can look out at them like I don't want to do anything with them if somebody wants to like harvest their wool that's fine but I just want to look out and see sheep what about a um, what about a guard 
creature like a llama or a um, alpaca. alpaca to guard your chickens. I think you should get uh, one. I don't think they really <laughs> guard sheep. The reason that works with sheep is they actually see themselves as part of the herd. Hmm. Um, geese, geese are known for yes, geese, being very aggressive. Geese very will protect chickens yeah. like whoa. And let me tell you something. I the farm I used to work at had a massive aviary, and geese are some ruthless mfers. They don't <laughs> you don't mess around with a goose. I think a goose or two might take yeah. care of a fox. We need a gaggle of geese. <laughs> you guys are just gonna have like a circus soon. Just like a whole like a full barnyard. Well, there's no, a lot. There's a, actually a lot of people in in the uh, regenerative agriculture circle that talk about, hey, like as far as poultry goes, geese. Like you drive around here, you see Canada geese eating soccer fields and everything, right? Uh, yeah. So they're really good at grazing. They're really efficient at eating grass, but uh, but they're not very marketable. No, that's the thing. Like, it's just like it. they're actually really good at eating grass, and you get a bigger structure on them. But that's just not. It's not a thing we're used to eating. Yeah. Used to eat it, yeah. It's the same thing. Like, we're looking to try to convert people over to you know eating hazelnuts and chestnuts. And I believe this is a Mark Shepard quote that chestnuts are nutritionally the same as brown rice. Yep. So if you could just sort of switch yourself to eating that, but that's a hard sell for a lot of people. Um, Look, actually we're, we're both very avid cooks, but yep. I don't really have any chestnut recipes. Yeah. I'm surprised. Roasted over the open fire. I was going to say, I made a chestnut stuffing one. I was going to say chestnuts really have, they, they, they've been immortalized in that song. Yeah. <laughs> and that's probably the only thing. It's such a nice voice. Yes, beautiful. Like um, a baby angel. So, so you've talked a little bit about how these practices, um, polyculture, permaculture, silvo, silvo pasture systems are going to be the farming of the future. Can you talk, uh, can you talk a little bit about, about that? Why and why we maybe even need it to be the farming of the future? So we kind of had a nod to it earlier. If, you, if you're looking at like, let's travel to the Midwest where it's all corn fields and soybeans. And then you plant the same thing every year and they're taking the same nutrients. So the same, same plants take the same nutrients out of soil and you're not rotating those crops. Well, now you got to add inputs and these inputs come in, like I said, in, in, in the means of fertilizer. So it's a fossil fuel-based fertilizer, which you're spreading on there. And then you got erosion you're dealing with. And we think about erosion as being just water washed over the soil. But different places, too, you have, we were in a real dry spell this year here. So erosion comes in the form of wind as well, too. So washing mm-hmm. the wind. The active wind blowing the soil away. And when you think about corn, when you drive through Hadley and you see these fields and the corn is not, it might be Memorial Day or into June before the corn's even ankle high. So that field is left barren with nothing to anchor it. And it's being oxidized by the sun for all that time and exposed to the wind. You're losing soil to the wind the whole time. Yeah. So your soil is blown away. The topsoil that took millennia to, I don't even know how long it would take to create topsoil around here. You're thinking about decomposing leaves, right? Before stripped of trees. Mm-hmm. 
long time. Yes, it takes a long time, and it takes a lot less time to lose that soil to erosion, whether it be wind or surface erosion. So um, a lot of that is just what we're talking about, is trying to mitigate that and actually build the soil. Yep. And the godfather, I should point this out because he deserves all the nods in the world, the godfather of the no-dig method, and his motto is feed your soil, is Charles Dowding. He's this lovely Englishman um, who is literally like, he has forgotten more about um, like feeding your soil than like I'll ever know. Um, And he's just done insane amounts of research and he's been doing it in practice for I think like 20 years and um, go find him on Instagram or online. Um, He has tons of books and it's amazing. Like the things that he's learned and he's not a scientist, um, but he's just a smart person who's just figured out what, you know, what works. Um, And he is all about feeding the soil and it's really taking off. It's become a very common gardening practice, especially in the UK where he's based and it's starting to get, you know, take notch over here because it just makes sense, especially on a small scale. Like if you're going to have a garden at home, you should be doing no dig. You should be feeding your soil. It makes so much sense. You don't weed at all. I well, weeded it's actually lazy gardening. It yeah. is. It's totally lazy gardening. I literally weeded our garden once. It took me two sick. hours and it was like, I hadn't weeded in th- I hadn't weeded since we put crops in, like since we put the compost down in the spring. That was year two of this garden. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, how do we yeah. get pe- how do we get people how do we get people to su- support these methods? I mean, the thing I think about and the thing that keeps me up at night, right, is when God forbid we have something, you know, like another civil war in this country or whatever happens and the and, and the indu- and the industrialized farming system collapses and we can't get food distributed across this country. I mean, the, the, the solution through that, in my mind, are these kind of um, local farms doing exactly what you're starting to do and what, you know, others may be doing now, you know, regional, regional food, sustainable regional food production seems to me to be the, the only security we have against long, you know, like industrialized food insecurity. And how do we get people to care about this? So basically, you fed right into right where I wanted to be, Brad. <laughs> so uh, he, he wants to be patted on the back. He's giving me the biggest grin right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's this uh, this this guy, and he, it's called New Forest Farm, and it's in Wisconsin, I believe. And um, he's actually a Massachusetts native, yep. Mark Shepard. Um, and I, I stumbled upon him in my research and YouTube binging and I've been reading his book, um, restoration agriculture. And this is a guy that's actually out there doing this. And a lot of what he talks about is saying any society that has relied on annual crops. So we're talking about just things that we get to plant seeds every year mm-hmm. and do that man-made, uh, intervention to that, to, to make this, the system continue, um, they have failed. So when you look at all Mesopotamia or all these places that are ancient civilizations, they've relied on, you know, you could probably even say Rome or whatever, but they've relied on annual crops as, as their food sources. They've 
have come to a point where there's a collapse and failure and something happens. So if we continue down this road and when I was talking about, um, you know, the corn and soybeans and all these things, well, you start with the, the breadbasket of America and we have, Hey, it's great soil or whatever. And over time we're losing a lot of this too. Like I said, the, the erosion and we're depleting the soil and we're not putting anything back because you take all this corn off there and you don't have a cover crop or nothing's given back to the soil. So what do we do? We just keep pumping more fertilizer on there. Keep right? It's going to be okay. Let's put more fertilizer on there. And you know, hey, we're gonna better. Uh, we're gonna. We don't want to weed. We're just gonna spray glycophosphate all over the soil. Well, that but that's gonna kill the corn. Okay, so we just uh, genetic genetically modified this corn seed so it can be resilient to glycophosphate. Well, over time we're altering that. We're altering natural systems, and we all know how that kind of ends mm-hmm. up. So. I think part of this, and it all depends on who you're listening to and who you're reading and, and who you believe in or whatever, but um, check Mark Shepard out. Really cool. A lot of good ideas. Some of it's far-fetched. So you were talking about industrialized farming, and I, I don't want to misquote, and it's from a talk, but if you look at... Um, there's what is it, 37 percent? So like 38 percent of the Earth's land mass is involved in agriculture. And according to certain studies, if we were to build that soil organic matter by just two percent over that 38 percent of land mass, we would set back the carbon, carbon, emissions. carbon emissions to pre-industrial yeah. revolution levels. Like that's, we could literally go backwards in time with what we're doing to the environment. If we could just change. And how's that work? It's it's called carbon sequestration. So when you make the soil better and the plants more um, efficient at what they do, they suck more carbon out of the atmosphere. So obviously, so perennial plants, big trees, things like that, suck more carbon in. They, they process it more than a tomato plant does in your garden. Right. And they, and they hold on to it year after year because they stay alive. Yeah, exactly. So they, they break it down. And it's like, when you, when you go out and I take my chainsaw and I go out and cut a tree down, as I do that, carbon is released into the atmosphere. Right. But when you look at that and you say, holy crap, by just building the soil by 2%, we can set this back to the 1700s. Like, I'm sorry, but you can tell me all you want about electric cars and the the amount of mining for materials that has to go into creating an electric car battery. But let's mention how you're going to recycle it and things like that. Like Like, this is the heavy metals involved in that. Like I think we can look at something more attainable as just let's go build some soil. And and we all and we all need food, and so this is something that we could do on a huge scale never mind even just two percent right i mean we could go beyond that if we just put our minds to this if we put our minds to it and if we're just willing to change the way we eat and i mean so like we so yeah you don't have to completely alter your diet like part of the things is so one of the things i mentioned when i was talking about the five um sustainable practices one of them is alley cropping so that's something that like the you could plant trees that are going to mitigate some of this 
and then still have your annual crops, the things we're yep. used to eating in, in between, in between there. Yeah. And you're getting the benefit of the trees that are going to sequester all that carbon and provide other things for that. But, you know, there's like just about varying the systems. You don't need to go and have miles and miles of one crop. It's about changing people. It's about change, like individual people, though, changing like, OK, recognizing that this is an issue and saying I I'm not going to commit to completely change my diet and I'm not going to become a hunter gatherer. Like it's just not going to, that's not, that's ridiculous. We can't do that. But you can say, you know what, instead of eating this, I'm going to try to a couple times a week, add one of these things that's a little more sustainable back into my diet. And that like over time, that will make a difference. Like if everybody does that and everybody starts to just make a little tiny shifts in what they do, whether it's buying pastured poultry you know, that's using or just buying crops that are done in a sustainable way or a responsible way, or even just saying like, Hey, instead of brown rice, I'm going to try chestnuts just like one time a week. See how that is. Like something as little as that will make a big difference over time. And people can make that leap in a small way by supporting a farm like yours once it's up and running by joining uh, what's called a CSA stomping Mm -hmm. gen. What does that mean? CSA? Community shared agriculture. Right. It's like you. Is that um, right? Yeah. You pay, um, right <laughs> yeah, no, that's what it is. Yeah. You pay like, so you pay like yep. a annual um, subscription to the farm and you get, you get product from them and you're going to be offering one of these. It's in the near future, right? This is part of the pivot. This is part of the pivot. I mean, it kind of comes back to, so we're going to be doing this thing that, we're really excited about, and I'm, you know, if 10 people are excited about it, that's great. We're going to be doing what we call a farmstead style CSA. So it's going to be different than what most people are used to. What that means is, so like a regular share, you're like basically if saying. just for us, it's a homestead, but we're, right. we're wanting to give it to other people. So we're going to it's call a farmstead. it a farmstead. Did, I've never so, heard that word before. Did you, you should trademark that farmstead. Uh, I don't think we, uh, yeah, somebody (laughs) used it. We stole it from somewhere. I don't know where we stole it from, but we stole it. Um, So with a regular CSA, you're basically saying, hey, I'm going to support you as a farmer. And I know that you have expenses before the season starts. So I'm going to give you some money up front so that you can grow the crops. And in return, you're going to share those crops with me. And it's actually going to save me money because it will be cheaper over time. So that's how like a regular share works. How ours is going to work is, I mean, kind of the name of the game for us is diversity. We have several different zones, basically, that we have set up all over the farm that are going to be producing different things. So instead of saying, hey, here's your lettuce and carrots and cucumbers, like have a nice day. We have the market garden down front that will supply mostly annual crops, things you're used to, like lettuces and carrots and cucumbers. And then it also means you're going to get a portion of every single thing that we produce on the farm throughout the year. It also means because we are really, our big focus of ours is education and, you know, we're, we're learning things as we go here. We want people to be a big part of that. So every time we're doing something on the farm, whether it's boiling maple syrup or, you know, 
drying herbs or making a wreath or doing a timber frame or whatever it is, we will be including our CSA members in that process. It's also something we want to open up to the public and sell, you know, tickets for eventually because we want people to be learning the things that we're learning as well. We want to be able to share that knowledge with other people. Um, so what that's also going to mean is, you know, during the summer, it's going to look like a traditional CSA where you'll get mostly annual crops, you know, short-term things. We have raspberries up here that do really well to get some raspberries. Hopefully our peaches don't die next year and you get peaches. And then as the year progresses, it's going to take a shift. So you'll get, you know, maybe one basket or a month or, you know, every once a season. And in the winter, it'll be more like you'll get a carved wooden spoon that Matt made and some pastured poultry, some dried herbs, Christmas tree. a Christmas tree or winter greenery. And every season we're going to be doing thank you dinners and just sharing the bounty of what we have. And it's also going to help show people what you can do with what we're producing on the farm. So it'll help show you what you can do with chestnuts and hazelnuts as we go forward. And I need to so tell, and I, and I just need to tell thing. people who are listening to this, who are within, within distance of your, your property. Um, mm-hmm. These thank you dinners have got me intrigued <laughs> because I've seen the Instagram videos <laughs> of, of Lindsay and Matt's cooking. They're going to get better. <laughs> and and there, I'm thinking back to this one of a pot roast. Oh yeah. And I wanted to eat that thing. So I, I would, I would be in just for these um, thank you dinners. Yes. And I'm kind of dinner CSA. Yeah. And I want a, some biscuits and stomping Jen. Yeah. I, it's stomping Jen will tell you if I'm, I, if, if I am nothing, I'm a romantic and the, the, <laughs> The idea of sitting down at a farm table um, on a crisp fall day and enjoying a pot roast, you know, just tickles my fancy stomping. <laughs> no, I'm the only one that was cooked over a fire. I'm sure. Yeah. No. Well, I, I, too, like, uh, we, the, so the plan is we we want it to be local. We want you to live within an adjoining town. Like. Yeah. you shouldn't travel 45 minutes to come here because like that's, that's not truly local then. And you should support somebody else out there. Maybe it's not somebody else doing that. I'm like, I fire you from that. But the people we want to be in this, this CSA group, we want them to be part of our community and invested here and to share this with them and, come up here and enjoy this property for what, for what we're trying to make it. And what it comes down to too, is like at the end of the day, like we just like to feed people. Like we, that brings us joy and we like to be around people. And like, I have a background in events. And so of course I'm always going to be like, I can make it beautiful and I'm going to set the table and there'll be these, all these things. And like, I, you know, I just want people to be happy. I want to like look down a table at a bunch of people, like truly enjoying something that I produce that we produced up here and like made for them and like that's all i want like i just want people to be happy and yeah and obviously <laughs> some of this excess too so we'll have the csa members get whatever and then we're going to still offload the other produce we oh, have that sounds so terrible. yeah it's, it's terrible, terrible. <laughs> we will share we will share the things that we have with no we're, gonna, people. we're still going to market it in, in the, the means that are typical you know if, if we have Different avenues to sell it, then we're still going to do that too. And you, you won't have to be a CSA member to buy produce from us or buy a chicken from us. But the the focus is going to be on providing 
most of this experience to the CSA people. I really like this education aspect of it. I think people could learn so much um, from this. You know, even if it was just, you know, you know, once you once you have the silvo culture system set up, you know, even just like a like a you know a morning farm tour or something like that, yeah. that could be so informative to people. Well. Uh, so to do it on the scale we're doing it up here, we're really calling this a case study because what we're actually doing on our property is kind of replacing forest with different forests that we can actually, you know, that we can get product from, that we can actually produce food from. So really when it turns from sustainable to regenerative is when you take, say, like an old farm that has like barren fields in it that isn't being used and converting it back into forest to put in these things, to put in these systems. It will be a mix of forest and pasture or whatever. Like right. That. Yeah. So if we can be a case study and I mean, there are a million agriculture schools around here. If we can say, hey, come see what we're doing here. This is how you can, you know, I want to share that knowledge as far as we can possibly spread it especially anybody who's in an agriculture school who, you know, is going to going to take this and turn around into practice later on. Um, and I mean, my long-term goal would be, I say this all the time because I, I'm good at like the, you know, I get like the long-term visions. My brain just goes, I've got all that creativity. And then that just comes and like reigns me in and puts me on a timeline. But the long-term goal would be is that we can make this successful as a case study. I would love to try to find a, a farm that is in disrepair and turn it into like an, a farm education where you can actually take, so say, you know, you found a farm with 50 acres and it's just, just been sitting barren and not doing anything for the environment. And it's just a bunch of grass and they've been haying it for the last 10 years. What if you took that and then put this in on a larger scale and actually gave it back to the earth, gave it the regenerative aspects, and then you really can like do something with that land. So, I mean, we'll always have this, you know, this place up here, but it's to me, it's a case study to see what we can do. And then however we can share that knowledge with whoever else will well, listen, basically, well, let's share it. Part of that, too, I want to have measurable results. So we're going to find some way to uh, we're going to take soil samples and, and yep. basically measure what organic matter, especially when we're talking not so much about the microbiome, when we're talking about this uh, tree cropping system we're talking mm -hmm. about up back. And with, with the chickens running through and we're talking about raspberries and blueberries and Christmas trees and hazelnuts and apples and all these things. Um, we want to take some samples and we want to get those analyzed. And then five years from now, 10 years from now, mm -hmm. reanalyze those and see how much did we add to the organic matter? Mm -hmm. How much did we add to the soil? How, how much better did we make this by doing what we did? Yeah. I love it. You talked to oh conservation God. about it, right? Yes. We did. Um, yeah, which she, was, she was fun. She was lovely. She had a good time. <laughs> and I, I think it's kind of funny because, you know, we approached her before we did these things. And she kind of said, like, hey, usually people call me, like, once they have a problem. So it's really nice to be here when you're not, like, mm -hmm. like you're, you, you asked me to come here and invited me here. And then that's the thing is you, we want to work with conservation. We want to make sure we're doing things properly and appropriately 
Um, and, and you shouldn't be, you know, scared to have the conservationists show up on your site. You should be happy and excited to show them the things you have going on. Mm -hmm. Um, so hopefully she can get us some connections with, um, you know, students from the, the local colleges and stuff. Cause I'd love to like hear what they have to say, but also, you know, help them learn as we, as we're learning along, along with them. And as part of this, as part of this repivot, you're working on kind of a, a larger rebranding that involves a redesign of your website and your logo. Any ideas yep. of when all of that is going to launch? Will that be towards the spring? Yes. Hopefully before the, the spring, right? Well, we're like, going to have, like we winter. have like phases basically. Um, website will be the winter probably. The logo, we already had. We logo. have the logo. We have a new logo. We haven't, we haven't relaunched it yet. Oh. Um, so basically it's going to be in phases. And what we want is, um, we also have, which is very exciting. We've been working with an actual professional videographer, which if anybody has seen our previous videos, you will very quickly realize that we are not professional and we're not tech savvy at all. Um, and my current method of shooting, for your cell phone. shooting on my cell phone, saving to the drive, then downloading to my laptop and then uploading to an editing server. It's like making me a crazy person. So we shot one actual professionally shot cooking video that mm. I'm really excited. That's going to be coming out. Um, and we're plan on, you know, probably the farm stuff, timber frame stuff, that's going to continue to be self shot, but, yeah, um, be the cooking dodgy. videos are going to be, yeah, that, that stuff will be dodgy. Can, can you, can you tease us what the culinary subject of the video is? Um, or is it a surprise? No, we can tease it. It's a great use for a common summer, per, uh, you know, a summer bounty that you would probably have um, with sort of a, a fun twist, like flavor twist. I've Ooh, seen it. That, uh, you saw it? it? Yeah. I can show it to you. She's seen the test. Oh. <laughs> I've seen the test and there was some fun music that was playing in the background. <laughs> that is not the music that but will it was, be in the But movie. it was funny because the videographer was like, um, I have to change the music. It's a little Halloween-y. And like, as he wrote that, it was like, there was like shots of you like cutting things with knives. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. Oh, I can't wait to see it. It's like a good brunch food. Uh, I remember watching the Anthony Bourdain rip. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, he was on like an episode. He went out, typical Anthony, got too cocked up the night before. And then Nigella cooked him this. Nigella Lawson yeah. cooked him this in the morning as like a it's hangover, like hangover cure. cure. Yeah. So it's a hangover it's, cure. It's a good use of like summer produce. It's awesome. It's I awesome. made it's it delicious. for Stomping Jen is claiming I made this for oh, her once. You did, Jen. I'm so mm -hmm. impressed. Pancakes? Yes, pancakes. No, no, no. <laughs> yes, because nothing says summer produce like pancakes. <laughs> pancakes were bread. <laughs> All right, so that so, so that's um, so that that's really exciting. So yeah, I, I can hear the excitement. Yeah. Are you rena are you renaming the farm as part of this? Are you still going to be Oak and Ash Farm no, and so Distillery? Still, yeah, well, yes, we are. It's it's Oak and Ash Farm. We've always been Oak and Ash Farm. It was Oak and Ash Farm and Distillery. We've dropped Distillery, oh, and yeah. now we are Forest Farm. And this is something that we worked really like we fought so hard on this like we couldn't come up with it's like name one you did it was and we had i mean like literally i named the twins like after i like right after i pushed them out and that was just like i sure let's just go with these names so it was it was really hard so 
we wanted to go with like agroforest because really we are forest and a farm. We are all, we are many things up here, but we are a forest farm. So nobody knew what agroforestry was. So we decided to go with a forest farm. No, I just did like the ring of agroforestry. So basically we just were rebranding as forest farm. So at every point, yep. At every point of, our agriculture, whether it's the market garden, which is in the forest, it's like tucked in the forest. There are trees involved around there. So some of these, like I look at them as like when I walk on the property and I'm looking at what I selectively cut and I had a hard decision this week. I was clearing, looking at what's in the market garden and what's by this new timber frame structure with the foundation sitting there. And there's this beautiful red oak, very straight, like a, a, a good oak that I really like the leaf. But I just looked at it and I'm like, this is still too close to the structure and the roots are going to mess with my foundation. And if the branch comes down, it's going to mess with my structure. And it's still, Mm -hmm. I mulled over it for weeks. And finally I said, Lindsay, go, I I just got, I got to cut it down. And I hated to do it because like that it's, it was a big tree. It was, it was a good sized tree. And, uh, you know, I think it was probably 50 years old, but you're looking at it. And when I see big oaks like that here, I'm like, or big hardwoods, I'm like, that's like a heritage tree. Kind yeah. of like that tree is older than me. Yeah. And it's going to live a long life, hopefully. But anyway, we cut that down and I'm, I'm going to replace it with something a little further back that's going to benefit me. So I'll probably put a sugar maple back there and it'll get good sun and exposure and in 15 years I can tap it. And when you cut like replace, we're trying to replace anything we cut. It's it's not like we're not just like slash and burn up here. It's, it's literally like a hard decision every time. We're like, but this tree is so pretty. Like, and it's so beautiful and it's like lived a hard life. (laughs) Like let's let it be. So part of that, yeah, as we work these systems in, we're going to, we're going to pick the straighter, more healthy timber and we'll keep that there. And the less, less productive, less uh, desirable stuff will cut out. And that's where we're going to intersperse these, these crops and these systems. But we're also using, I mean, that's kind of the whole point of it is like, we are, we don't waste anything up here. I mean, that lumber gets used in multiple other ways, whether it be Matt carves an object out of it or a beautiful piece of furniture, or it becomes a timber frame. Like everything gets used and the forest, like we try to keep as much of the forest as we can. We produce forestry products and we are a farm. So it's, that is what we are. We are doing agroforestry up here kind of on every level, no matter where it is. And so that red Oak is going to go towards something on the farm. Yeah. So, so actually I I wanted to, Again, you jumped right in, man. Like, so we, we looked at that red oak and it was super straight. And Lindsay was like, what can we do with this? I was like, you want to know what? It's got good, uh, uh, we'll turn like whatever. The, the butt end, the first butt stump, we'll turn a little bit in the firewood. And then I have a couple good lengths. I'm going to just cut them off, put them off to the side. I'll mill them up later. And we'll turn some of that into some furniture. Mm. And then or the upper section of it, it started going and they're like, Hey, we get a couple of quarter, like a quarter firewood out of it. And then the rest of it where it's all real thin, I'm going to run it through my chipper and that's going to go right back into the market garden where this thing stood over and over time. So that's going to, um, 
be my, my pathways in between my garden beds. So what, what do wood chips do in the garden? Well, they're going to soak up a lot of moisture. They're going to reduce erosion. And it's like a, basically a sponge. So when it rains, they're going to soak up all that moisture. They'll release it back into there. And then over time, they'll decompose. And what they're going to do is just turn in the soil. So that's going to restore all my health around my garden beds and just contribute to that micro... Microzyme. I can't say it. It's a very long Microsial bacteria that's in there. It's the world, the wood wide web. Yeah, the wood, it. wood wide web. It's yeah. literally like the network of bacteria and yeah. mitochondria. And fungus, right? My my yeah. mycosial. Yeah. Mycosial, yeah, thank you. Yep. I was a, you may not know this about me. I was a microbiology major. Oh, really? Yes, I was. Um, and I'm so impressed. This, this is this is one of the most fascinating things. I learned this in the last couple of years that underneath our feet, right, trees mm-hmm. are communicating with each other through fungal networks that connect their roots. That's how they talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's like, they just discovered this like within the last five years. It, it, it's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. It's so incredible. So all of the stuff you're doing on your farm is helping to keep all of that healthy too. So you're gonna have happier, happier trees through the practices you're doing. Um, yeah, they're not. They don't really like. They don't really like to see Matt coming up now because they never really know what he's gonna do. <laughs> but yeah. um, hopefully, they, you know, we're honoring the the trees of you know the past by turning them into either returning them to the soil to feed the soil or turning them into you know beautiful usable things or. Yeah, and all of this sounds to the casual listener. I mean, all of this sounds like fun, but it's some of this is dangerous work, right? I mean, we, we were we were talking a little bit this week prior to the show, texting back and forth, and you told me about there was like an accident on the farm. Can you tell us a little bit about about that? Matt exploded his finger. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, you know I'm not a queasy person, but let me just tell you. Like if you are queasy, well, hopefully Matt will give like the the kitty version. But it was like I I was a little like you can you can stop now. <laughs> but seeing it happen, I actually have it on video, and I asked him if he wanted to see the moment that it happened, and he was like, "No, I'm good, thank you." Oh my god! <laughs> so what what happened? A rock or a tree fell on you? Uh so we we were uh, so actually we'll rewind a little bit so. Um, in the, the clearance and just getting things ahead with the market garden, I was like, okay, this week we're doing it. I'm going to take a couple of days off from work and I'm going to get uh, cutting timbers and cutting this frame, all the Morrison tendons you want to read Let's get it going. And then my cousin called me. My cousin runs a stump grinding business. And, he, and uh, me and him were texting back and forth. And he's like, hey, I can come out this week. So I'm like, crap. I got we rocks gotta, everywhere. We got to clean up the market garden. Up so he, he can get his stump grinder down here and get access to where I need him to grind because it works for him. So he's doing me a favor. So I was like, all right, stonewalling it is. Let's put the timber <laughs> frame on a uh, hold. So so we are making great progress. Which and, makes me excited because it's something I can actually help with. And I don't need to just stand there and like try to figure out what he's doing and being like, I don't really know what's happening. I can do that. And it also makes me feel really strong because I feel like I'm like, like doing my Highland game, like workout, (laughs) throwing rocks and like picking giant rocks up. I'm like, this is like, this is why the Highland games were invented. And it's like, I am 
like, you know, a, a Celtic warrior and I feel really great about it. So I always <laughs> feel excited when we do Stonewall. So we had this pretty stubborn, uh, it was a big rock, one you don't want to like lift up mm-hmm. and uh, shimmy it into place. And then it started going over and I was trying to guide it where it went. And I don't know why my hand was under there. Oh, so I was like watching it happen and the rock, so he hit he smashed his finger between this giant boulder and the rock that he was trying to place it on that honestly wasn't much bigger than like a cantaloupe. Hmm. And it literally like there was a thud. And then um, I looked at his face (laughs) and I said, are you okay? And he said, no. And he took his glove off and it's a princess because we both saw blood and literally there was so much pressure his hand got smashed so bad that it, it like exploded out the end, basically. Oh my yeah, it God. It basically, it didn't. If he had a bone there, like if he'd hit it any further down, like his bone would have been just crushed. I was really surprised there was blood. Yeah. I, was, I, I thought I just smashed it like brute force. And then I, I jumped around and hopped around. And <laughs> finally I'm like, something feels warm in here. So I took my, my leather glove off and, also, there's blood running all down my hand, and it, it basically just ruptured my finger. Oh, and he had to, so because it was his nail, the pressure was building under his nail, and he had to perform some DIY because these things only happen on Sunday evenings because that's how life is. He had to perform some DIY, like ER stuff where he had to burn a hole in his fingernail fingernail, so So he had to cut a hole basically in his fingernail and like squeeze the pressure out for you know it feels feels good it feels good today and i asked him did you take any ibuprofen well no (laughs) yeah this story i've given birth to three children and i'm like i don't think i can you know yeah, th- this this story isn't any less horrifying the second time around. <laughs> it's just just as horrifying. If anything, you can just picture it more in your mind. Yeah, so yeah, so all of you, all of you who are listening to this, romanticizing this um, this farm life, you know, this is not for the this is not for the the weak of body and mind. Nope, there are serious risks that come along with this. Yeah, and so I was, I was right back out there today. Uh, fingers a little tender, but I was like, you know what? I need to get this thing finalized so so I can get what I need to get done. Yeah, because that it doesn't end. Like it's your like we still have a deadline to get stuff done, and like no, he couldn't he couldn't dare stand to watch me build stone walls by myself anymore. <laughs> and, and my cousin busy dropped off a stump grinder was like hey i'll be back <laughs> I, I gotta come back in a couple of days because i can't i'm not leaving out here because i gotta make money so <laughs> <laughs> so the show must go on and like it is and we don't have livestock and i would i will always say as soon as you add livestock like the complications and the hardships of farming is like it just multiplies so this is just prep this is literally just like prepping prepping it for you know yeah for for future endeavors so what are you what are you going to be working on as we transition into into winter like fall and winter and you know the 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 earth starts going to sleep what are you all going to be doing over the winter to get ready for spring 
so what we got to do immediately as far as the, the farm enterprises is uh, finalize what we're doing down in the market garden, which be uh, finish the border walls with the, with the uh, get all the rocks that we have piled for stone walls out of the way. Yeah. And then we got a guy from in town here, uh, Jeff from Ruby, from Ruby Ranch. Ranch. He's got a bunch of compost these uh hopefully got available for us and we're gonna put in our beds our wood chips in our, our wood chips we're gonna, so we're gonna establish where we're gonna put these vegetables in in the spring and we're gonna put those to bed so part of the system with the uh, no dig no till growers is you, you tap that over so you kind of put it to bed and in the invasive weed seeds and you just you're covering them so they can't get sunlight and they die. So you're just Which basically preventing it. And, yeah. and, and so you can just uncover them and plant right into the beds, which is what we did this spring in our in our regular garden. It allows all that soil web to just do its thing for the winter. Mm-hmm. So so we'll put everything to bed and then uh, over the winter we'll, we'll the move our framing. focus up. <laughs> yeah, well, before that we're going to there's the timber frame for the garden shed down front. And then once we get into dark winter here, then we're going to go up back and uh, start logging what we have to log to get those tree rows when we were talking about so we can run them poultry in between because that, that'll be the next step. And yeah. I think that's more that um, where the forest farm comes into play up yeah. there. So, yeah. And then it's just prepping, like just organizing like figure our yeah. you know our crop out. We also are. I'm going to be putting out um, for anybody local. Um, it would be really helpful for me. I'm going to be putting out a questionnaire on what you'd like to see from a CSA. Um, really, this first year is kind of our, you know, our our trial run. Um, it's we're going to be opening it to a super limited number of people because we just want to make sure that we can really sustain it. Um, well, we, we have a certain experience in mind, so I want to make sure that we don't overextend ourselves. Yes. Yeah. And obviously, we want like people to be that, happy that's what I'm saying, where, you know, we know we're going to produce, because we've already produced X amount for ourselves, so we kind of have a quantified uh, outcome. outcome that we, we were able to do. So we're like, okay, let's yeah. make sure we create the experience we want for the other people. And then always whatever we have that's extra, we can sell in more conventional means. Yeah. Just for question. And just for planning purposes, just just let me make this comment. Just for planning purposes, the very best thank you dinners I've ever been to included (laughs) local, local podcasters. Just (laughs) no, just for the record. You will, you will, of course, be invited. Go ahead. Stomping Jen, please. Will will there be biscuits on your CSA? Um, with I hot don't know. butter and maple syrup. Um, they will absolutely be at our thank you dinners, but I don't <laughs> think they will be a part of an actual weekly CSA because I don't think that the health inspector will be too pleased with me. Oh, no, you can't make food products and sell them. That stinks. No, it's so crappy. Which is why thank you dinners are roped into the price of admission, so to speak, for CSA because. I would love nothing more with an events background than to just like sell y'all tickets to farm dinners and like have them every week. And that would be like, that would be my, that would, nothing would make me happier in the world than to do that as just a business. But you said, unfortunately it's not possible. <laughs> Sorry. I don't, this is like 
off the off the podcast or whatever, but I sent you that guy, right? Yes. That that has that farm that he's doing that basically. He built like a huge kitcheny type thing with a big fire and doing dinners. In in our area? It's like Probably. up in like Greenfield or something. Huh. It's like Oh, I think we already knew about that. That no. guy. There's a dude in the Berkshires that did very like uh Yeah, like he Francis did Francis Malmany like fire dinners and stuff. And I think he had a butcher shop. I think that was connected to the butcher shop. I would American. kill for a butcher shop out here. That would be yeah. Awesome. yeah, I would kill for a lot of businesses out here that would do very well in Belchertown, everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we will all support you. Just please come here. All right. Yeah. So when so when we get when we get this when we when we go live with this, we're gonna be forest farm, right? That's what we're yep. going to be. Okay. All right. And people will be able to. So my hope is that uh, whether you're part of the CSA or not, you can always keep up with us on Instagram. Um, that's the best place. That's the best place. And from there, you should be able to go to our website and just learn a little bit more about what we're doing. We're hoping to do some, you know, we're going to be doing some blog posts to just kind of update people on what we're going to be doing. And most of those will go hand in hand with videos on our YouTube channel. So it kind of is all connected and there's multiple places you can get information. And if we are having an event, an educational event of any kind that we're going to be selling tickets to, again, we'll, you know, make note of it on our Instagram and you can find more info. You can go to the website from there to, to sign up and get tickets for it. So that's the, that's kind of the long-term goal, but you can always, find out what we're up to on uh on the insta the gram the gram yeah and part of it too is not everything's gonna be pay to play type of stuff too we're gonna offer like some things are just farm tours will always be free come up and do it absolutely just all you gotta do is reach out and we gotta coordinate and cooking videos are always going to be free. Um, you know any some of the stuff is it's just going to be like hey we're just yeah, well, you know, whatever you want to know, we want you to be involved in the process and we want you to be learning along with us, whoever you are, whether you are part of our CSA or you're just like, hey, we're on an agriculture tour of Belchertown, like, come on over and, you know, we'll walk you around the farm and tell you what we got going on. I love, I just, I love, I'm an educator stomping, Jen, you know this, and mm-hmm. I love the educational aspect of this. Yeah, I have a degree in education that I haven't been using, so I figured... Why not? This is amazing. <laughs> now, how much, do you all know how much stuff to, I'm like, so now I'm 35 and I'm like looking stuff up and watching yeah. YouTube and reading stuff. And I'm like, my grandparents did this and, yeah. I, and they could have told me when I was a kid and I just missed that window because there was no, now I'm trying to relearn it. Right. There was so, no relevance to it at the time. There was no relevance and it's all stuff that they didn't think to teach us because they were like, well, this is going to be obsolete. And like right. people are coming back to that. Everyone's and, typing on computers now. Yeah. Right. Like think of how many, how many pieces of knowledge we have on how to survive and do things that nobody knows how to do anymore because nobody thought to pass it down. So, so like, we're yeah. relearning old skills. I mean, yeah. Well, I love it. I I love like, like when we talk with you and like, you know, Jeff from Ruby Ranch and like, you guys are all so young and I love it. And you're all connecting. We got to get this Jeff on When I say young, I mean like you're not old school farmers, right? You're not old though. No, no, no. That's true. 
I'm not saying I'm old either. (laughs) Talking about this new generation of farming that we're talking about, you know, like Phoenix Fruit Farm, you know, like, I mean, she's probably older than me, but like. She's an entomologist. She's an entomologist. And she's an insect person. That's that's her knowledge base. She knows entomologists. Whoa. Yeah, her we'll here. get her on the podcast. Get her on; yeah. she's great. But I love the idea of having like the tour of all the yeah. places in Belgium. And a lot of us, Actually, we know each other, and we're that's all supporting we, each that's other. That's something so. we need to set. Is like, uh, where mm-hmm. we we went out. So we went out to like the uh, Berkshires probably seven years ago or whatever. We oh, did God. like this farm to table trail. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's a thing. So like that's something. Obviously, we're not really Let's ready to be on it right now, but like, so there was a taste trail. Yeah, it was it. by the like the um the the chamber of commerce, which we've talked about this stop mm-hmm. and gem. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got so many of us. I feel like I feel like we're at the cusp. I feel like there's so many of us, and we're all just like mm-hmm. plugging away, doing our thing, and in our own lane, and we're all kind of talking to each other yeah. and going, "Wait." that and you know that yeah and we you've, can all be friends and we yeah. can all work together That's you've right. got to be great is gonna happen you've yeah. got to be like the microsobial uh, network <laughs> yeah yeah well and i think we're it, starting to make our connection and it needs to start happening this fall and winter because yeah. you guys are so, all super busy during this stop <laughs> stomping jen what are we gonna do how are we gonna get involved in when, this I, yeah i'm already you, knee deep i'm like life? elbow deep into work. this all this work i feel like i should be planting something or making something oh outside i can't do it we gave our box to our 13 year old i can't <laughs> i can't handle it it's too much for me we could convert our pool into a frog pond no and we could, you could. breed and frogs you know, frogs you know really what they built over the summer for their girls what they like took one of those giant like what was it like a cow trough or something <laughs> it's like a giant tub oh, and they made it again yeah that was for me yeah. <laughs> they like made it into a pool with a pump and like a whole thing oh that's awesome we made uh-huh. a soft tank pool and it's glorious and let me tell you something like it's great for our kids they've splashed around in it they can play it but that is for us when you i went in yesterday yeah, but so, it's yeah, freezing outside. After she took a tub, she decided she didn't want to get out of the tub and she wanted to go into the pool. And we were like, okay. So we put <laughs> her in. Yeah, well, and we're like, just like, okay. But let me tell you something. When we were, what, did, what were we doing? What? We were doing some farm activity in like the middle of summer and like wanted to die. And we were like, when this is over, oh, we were pouring concrete on the slab for the market garden. (laughs) And I looked at him and we live in the middle of the woods. And I promise I won't do this once we have people coming up here for the CSA. (laughs) I looked at him and I went, I'm going skinny dipping in that pool. And it was, I was going skippy dipping as our oldest (laughs) called it, skippy dipping. And it was it, like the best money we ever spent was on that stock. That's right. freedom. No, no, no sneaking up on the oak and ash farm. In the middle of summer. <laughs> I will not be. I will not be re-performing my skippy dipping. That is I, that my is freedom. That listening are horrified right now. That is freedom right there. That's yeah. right. It's total freedom. You know and you, that's why we live in the middle of nowhere. 
here's here's a challenge. You've got to build one of those, um, convert that thing into one of those Swedish hot tubs where you like have a, like a coil that's connected uh, to like it. Snorkel no, no, but Matt does want one of the like the Swedish. He yeah. wants a sauna, which to me is literally like. Like that and hot yoga are at like the top of my list of like never ever ever. Oh, like that awesome. sounds like my nightmare. I'm with love it. No, I'm with Lindsay. No, no hot yoga. Oh, yeah, hot I don't awesome. like to be hot. I like to be cold. No, that is my definition of hell. Hot yoga. <laughs> All right. So it's clear. It is clear to us that you are very busy with all of this, and you also have your other job. So and, and three, three babies. And, <laughs> yeah, three small children. So. Yep. Do you have any time to do anything? F- like, what do you do for fun? Or is it all folk? Is this your fun? This building the future here? We work. Yeah. We, we've said this from the beginning. Um, Matt, for funsies, is just like, hey, I'm going to go down and like build something or like down. cut a tree down or like carve something yeah. or go build a stone wall. Like, that's what he does for fun because he doesn't know what else to do with himself. He does hunt. Sometimes, no. although yeah, so I'm, I'm a uh, a downhill ski, a cross country ski. Yeah, we're uh, big into the cross country so skiing. We're, we're big skiers, and then uh, ride my bike once in a while, and nice. then in the fall, I'm a I'm an avid uh, grouse hunter. Oh. I um I knit and I sew badly hmm. on all those things. I'm like a mediocre knitter sewer, um, and I um. I cook as my stress relief and I exercise when my children allow it to be <laughs> because it is like, I desperately need 30 minutes to myself where nobody's crawling on me and yelling in my face. So you don't, you don't bench I, press them. Take uh, one twin in one arm, actually, one twin in the other. <laughs> I do kettlebell swings with them a lot. And it is like when you do squats with like 20 pound twins on each arm, like that's, that's a, that's a legit workout, but you know, no, I would like some time. I like it's my that's my me time. So that's what I do for fun when I when it is allowed. What are you gonna do? But yeah, we, we work. Yeah, we work, but like yeah, I think uh we're on the cusp of the annual grouse hunt here. Yeah, he does this is, is <laughs> once a year. He's not I know many hunters who are selfish. I don't really know any other way to put it, and he's not a very selfish Hunter, he's here or working and or he's helping me out with all the kids, like keeping my sanity. Do you, um, do you so travel? Do you travel yeah, great distances to do this grouse hunting? Yes. Yeah, oh. The grouse population down here isn't isn't too great. So we usually go up to Maine and uh, that's me and a couple of buddies go up and that's just out in the middle of nowhere. And Is there a hun- hunting lodge involved? <laughs> Sawtooth uh, wants so- to be invited. <laughs> He's like, I need to know more about. I feel grouse like hunting. I have an absence of. I feel like I have an absence of grouse hunting in my life. <laughs> so, so we used to go up to. Uh, so my family roots are in Down East Maine, which is up on New Brunswick border. Which you should watch his Down East Maine Big Bean video. It's great, by the way. So that's where we used to go up to my grandmother's place, and then. Uh, the venues change here and there, but uh, yeah, just we're trying to put together the pieces for that this year. Nice. <laughs> it's just good getting, getting away, and uh, cell phones don't work, and no worries. You just deal what you have to do during the day, and we, we stop and we cook and make coffee, and we're so deep in parenthood. Yeah, and then we clean birds and. 
Is there horseplay involved? Oh, yeah, there's horseplay, yeah. <laughs> you, like, desperately want to go on this trip. I can tell. He has this look on his face. All right. Let's change the subject. All right, last question. Last question. This is a new question we've been asking everybody who comes on the podcast. This is a good question. And you can interpret this any way you want. I want you both to answer this. Okay, in your own way. Um, mm-hmm. All right. What have you seen that you cannot explain? I think you asked us this question last time. Oh, did I? Mm-hmm. I have I have a good so we'll we're, we're, a different version. I didn't play this music. I didn't play this music last time. We're just new people, you said. Yeah, we're not old punk. We're like you clearly just like we mean nothing to you or we're not <laughs> you've already forgotten our previous I have so, to say you mean everything to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will not take your lies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I have seen, I think you asked Matt if we'd seen anything out in the woods. I, having twins, identical twins, I have seen some stuff happen that like you just can't, you just can't explain. And like, we know a lot of things about genetics and how it works. And it is amazing how you can take two people who literally have the same DNA and are completely different personalities but I've watched them work as if they have one mind. I mean, sometimes they're terrible to each other and like beat the crap out of each other um, pretty, you know, pretty well. But I've seen them do things as if they already know what the other one is going to do because they're just working with the same mind. And that is like, I can't explain that. And it freaks me out. So they're connected Um, on some kind of level in your observation. They've got their own, you know, network it's like their brain is connected and it's they, it's they can be in different rooms and if one's having a bad time another one's like can out of the blue yep. have a bad time like they're, they're there's definitely something deep 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 when they were like newborns we used to look at each other and go they're twinning us right now because they would just like both like explode at the same minute like just like every like everybody was fine and then everybody was having a bad day at once well and then like one for one for a real reason the other one for no 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 reason just because their sister is having a a hard time stomping jen i'm uh, Lindsay and matt i'm putting this in the supernatural column (laughs) we've collected more evidence (laughs) stomping jen i'm glad i asked the question again bank is this is this is this you know does this supernatural bank have a lot of it does no it does we've got well we so we last week we interviewed a air force lieutenant colonel who refused to confirm any official air force reports he wouldn't he would he was from new mexico so he grew up around and so he but he confirmed for us that when he was outside of the military um in before he joined, he had some sightings of UFOs, but he would not. Well, he would not dear. confirm or comment on the Air Force's official footage of UFOs. He refused, and I don't blame well, him. Yeah, I don't blame him either. He was. I feel like there are lots of things out there that I that I know I can't explain, but I don't want to know about them. Let's see. We had somebody <laughs> tell us about ghosts in the mm-hmm. woods. Yeah, no, those I, I don't want to know anything about. Them. What else, Stomping Jen? <laughs> There's been a few other supernatural occurrences. Ghosts. Lots of ghosts. Yeah. Oh, no. I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got aliens, ghosts, and no psychic Bigfoot. connections. No, no, no Bigfoot he's been yet. On the search for Bigfoot. 
We'll find you. You know he's out there. You yeah. talk to people from Hardwick. Yeah, talk to people yep. from Hardwick. Don't they have their own? They got the wooden cutouts that they put up there. Yeah, they do. <laughs> We're gonna. But I find feel like it. they have it with their own name. It's like, well, whatever. Some some loving, you know, endearing nicknames that they have for the Bigfoot. The hard man of the forest. <laughs> but really, it's just Matt with you know who hasn't shaved in three days. He's walking through the woods with a yeah, bloody thumb. Bigfoot's big, and I'm small. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's nothing, nothing, nothing small about what you two are up to. It's true. On uh, forest farm, soon to be forest farm, but it was Oak and Ash Forest Farm. Wait, I thought it was. What's the full name? Stomping Jen is asking the question. Oak and Ash Forest Farm, but really, like, we're Oak and Ash Farm. It's always Oak. Okay. Honestly, oh, it, what it came down to is our logo name. person. Oh, I thought. The distillery. <laughs> oh, I thought the we were. Focus on the farm. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought we were getting rid of the Oak and Ash. That's staying. No, no. That's that's okay. who we are. Okay, Oak no, and Ash. Like, yep. the, the spot in our logo, and then he works at the distillery. We, we, we had a conversation where we were like, with and our logo, our branding person, if, who's if, lovely. If we're doing the farm stuff more and the distillery's on the back burner, then like we got to take distillery off there. Right. And because we're, we're not a place. licensed distillery, we really like it doesn't, it, we've had a lot of confusing phone calls, like people, especially. Can you make hand sanitizer? Yeah. Like, oh, are you making hand sanitizer? <laughs> Can I buy like rubbing alcohol off of you? And I'm like, well, technically we're not a distillery. So it, it, it was like, almost like a false information. I didn't want to put that sign up there and have people coming up and going, Oh, you're a distillery. And I'll go, well, no, not yet. So to make things less confusing, we dropped it. And because she designed the logo such so that it fit farm, it was balanced visually with farm and distillery. Um, when she just took distillery out, it looked weird. It was literally like a, a, blank space and it just it didn't it didn't flow so she's like i need another word to throw in here so that is why we added forest farm and and you know again it is what we are doing up here mm-hmm. so we're oak and ash farm um that's what our website is like that's kind of like what it'll stay um but we are a forest farm and so hopefully if i can find somebody to make me a, a steel cutout sign we'll have our sign up by the spring as well there's so many things and you know we want it to be visually appealing to people when they come up here. And I have all these, the event planner in me goes crazy with like, Oh, we can do a water fountain over here and do this and that. And we can have a garden through the the woods that comes over here to get into the garden. But it is, you know, we want people to really enjoy the experience. If you can't have a homestead or a farmstead and you don't have the time, the energy, the money, the land, or you let us be that for you, you you know, or you don't want to do it, but you get the idea of it. Yeah, I yeah. love you it. That's me. To. Sign me yeah. up. I yeah. love it. Well, come on out. We took up an hour and fifty minutes of your time. Can you believe this? I felt like twenty. It felt like twenty minutes. This was yeah, one of the breeziest yeah. podcasts we've done in a while, has isn't it? Stomping Jen. Breezy. Breezy. It was fun. <laughs> oh, good. I have like a. Hmm? I have like a like a. Easy breezy, beautiful cover girl. <laughs> Do a pose for us, Stomping Jen. You just showed me your belly. I didn't mean to. 
That was a cover girl type of situation. Oh my goodness. She pulled up her hoodie and showed me her belly for some reason. And I don't know why. I was why. just adjusting my pants. So that's okay. um, Very suggestive. Whatever. You want some belly? You want some belly? <laughs> yeah. All right. All right well, next time we do an interview, we're going to do it in person. We're yeah. going to have to. Hopefully this damn thing will be over yeah. this pandemic mm-hmm. and we'll we'll get together if not, we'll just do it from 12 feet away just to be good yeah <laughs> and we'll, well show to each other. <laughs> all right Lindsay and matt from oak and ash forest farm thank you for coming on and talking to us again i and i really yeah. enjoyed this this was something else stomping jen i do want to do one plug for a friend what um our esteemed poet of the the official poet of the Soft Serve podcast, yeah. Joshua Michael Stewart. And he's like our new composer. And a musician. He's everything. Um, he has a new book out called the... Um, Dharma Bums. Of What's what? What's it called? Uh, how uh, could you not know? What do you mean? It was your job to... You didn't tell me this was going to be my job. Don't be, don't be mad, Joshua Michael Stewart. Oh Hold on. Oh, my God. It's... Um, She's looking it up. Hold I'm going to stall. I didn't know it was like Anyways, he, he has a new book out where he took um, the Jack Kerouac's On the Road and did um, a kind of um, poetic technique to it, I think, called reduction poetry. The Bastard Children of Dharma Bums. The Bastard Children of Dharma Bums. Okay, Joshua Michael Stewart, the official poet of the Soft Serve podcast, has a new book out, and we just want to promote that because he's been so good to us. So. Go get that. It's on Amazon. All right. Back to the guests at hand. Um, thank you again so much. Stomping Jen, this is your chance to say, to express your thanks and tell our fans anything you want as we're closing. Go ahead, please. We love you. Wear a mask. You forgot to thank our guests. Thank please. you. Oh, them? Lindsay and Matt. I miss you guys. <laughs> We miss you too. Thanks for having us on. I'm going to go because I have to go to bed. Okay. Thank you so much. And to our fans, thank you. We love you. We hope you enjoyed this. Be well, be safe, wear a mask and bye now. Bye now. Thank you.